So growing up, uh, my favorite basketball player was Scottie Pippen. So those of you that are familiar with those great Bulls teams of the 90s, if there was no Scottie Pippen, there would have been no Michael Jordan. And Jordan has said this himself. So I believe that Scottie Pippen was actually the most important player on the Bulls team. <laughs> well, those great Bulls teams won their final championship the year I graduated from high school. And so after the team broke up and Scotty went to the Portland Trailblazers, it's like, there's no way I'm rooting for Portland. And so I needed to find a new team to root for. And so the team that I rooted for in, high school, or in college and post-college was the San Antonio Spurs. And if you're a basketball fan, you know that the best player on the San Antonio Spurs in those years was a guy by the name of Tim Duncan. And here is what defined Tim, Duncan, Tim Duncan's playing ability. His nickname was the Big Fundamental. If your nickname is the Big Fundamental, this is what that means. You have zero flash to your game. That, that actually watching you is not super exciting. I don't think Tim Duncan ever made SportsCenter top 10. However, Tim Duncan, at the end of his career, is widely considered the greatest power forward to ever play the game. He, he is considered one of the greatest basketball players in history because of the substance of his game. In fact, when Sports Illustrated once put him on the cover, this was the heading, substance over style. Tim Duncan wasn't flashy, but his game had substance. And because of that, he was able to achieve greatness winning five championships, two league MVPs, three finals MVPs, a whole host of all NBA and all defensive awards. The guy played the game like no one else before. Substance over style. This is the idea that the Apostle Paul is getting at at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 2. It's the sense of what is going to define us as a church. He's putting before the Corinthians this question. Will you be defined by gospel substance? Will you be defined by the substance of Christ? Or will you be known for your style, for your flash, but no substance? What will be behind the way that you do ministry? What will people see about the church, will it carry the substance of Christ or will it be built on some sort of worldly style? Or to put it in terms of verse 5, will the church rely on, depend upon, trust in the power of God or something else? When people look at the church, will what marks them, will what people see and what will people note is that the power of God is working in them or will they notice something else? See, here's the thing, church. How we live our lives and how we do ministry matters. How we live our lives and how we do ministry matters. Just as you can play the game of basketball with a lot of style and a lot of flash, but no substance, we can do a lot of ministry. We can talk a lot about Jesus. We can do the Christian things and actually have no substance behind it. We can couch all of our community in the language of Jesus and God and the Bible and the gospel and the power of God not be working among us. How we live our lives and how we do ministry matters. And so to instruct the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul actually points to the example of his own ministry and his own life. And so for us this morning, God's word is going to instruct us and think about how we do ministry through the example of the Apostle Paul. And so here is 
the main point for us. This is what I want us to remember after this morning is how we do ministry matters. And so let's look at these verses together. Paul, in verse one, highlights how he proclaimed the message to the Corinthian church. He writes this, and when I came to you, brothers, or, or when I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And so the way that the apostle Paul taught, the language he used, the, 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 the way that he would explain the message of the gospel, he said, I did not use lofty language, meaning he did not use fancy, eloquent, flowery language. He, he did not use language that we would consider clever or entertaining. And why is that? Why did the Apostle Paul refuse to use that kind of language? Well, if you remember earlier in the letter, at the end of a, a section in 1 Corinthians, in verse 17, 1 Corinthians 1, 17, the Apostle Paul says the reason he didn't use eloquent language was so that the cross wouldn't be emptied of its power. You see, there is a way of doing ministry where we empty the cross of its power, meaning the way we do ministry will take the focus and the emphasis off of Jesus and the gospel and put it on something else. And so what people will put their faith in and their hope in is something other than Christ. And when you do that, there's no power. And so when we do, adopt ministry methods that empty the cross of its power, then we are building people into something other than Jesus. We are teaching people to put their hope in something other than Jesus. How we do ministry matters. And so the fancy, showy, entertainment-driven methods that were popular among the speakers and the philosophers and the religious leaders of the time, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not going to adopt that method because I don't want to empty the cross of his power. Because when we adopt that kind of language, here's what happens. We take the focus off where what's important. So as an example, one of my favorite, one of my favorite Super Bowl commercials of all time is the one from a few years ago where the little kid was dressed like Darth Vader and he's going around trying to use the force on stuff in his house. You guys, you guys remember this one? And so he tries to use the force on his dog, and then he tries to use the force on his sister's doll, and then he tries to use it on his, his sandwich, and his mom's just kind of staring at him like, what are you doing? And so then his dad pulls up in the driveway, the kid runs out, and the dad wants to give the kid a hug, and he's like, no, 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 I gotta use the force on your car. And so he stands there, and he's just like this, and all of a sudden the car starts, and he jumps back, and he's like, wow, I did it. And then it cuts to the dad pushing the automatic start button. And the next thing you know, it's a Volkswagen commercial. And so the, the nature of that commercial is this, though. It was all style. Like, there was nothing about the substance of a Volkswagen commercial. You didn't learn anything about whether a Volkswagen is a quality car, why you should buy it. Here's the, here's the wonderful things about it. All you saw was this really cool, cute story, amazing commercial that grabbed your attention, lots of style, zero substance. And this is what the Apostle Paul is pushing against, that how we do ministry, that, that, that how we talk about the gospel, how we talk about Jesus, it doesn't empty the cross of its power, that doesn't put the emphasis on something else. Look, church, how we talk about Jesus matters. And you think of it this way. We want to talk accurately about Jesus. I think as a Christians, we would acknowledge that. I want to be biblical in how I talk about Christ, and so I want to speak accurately. We care about tone. 
Like, I want to speak in such a way that my tone accurately represents Jesus and doesn't become a distraction or doesn't turn people off to Christ. But I think what we often overlook is that there are ways of talking about Jesus that pulls the focus and the attention off of him and puts it on our language, our methods. And when that happens, and when that happens, we are now no longer operating in the power of God. We're no longer pushing people and pointing people to the power of God. I mean, consider the ways the church has often chased methods of image and entertainment and cleverness. And in all of that, we distract and dilute the message of the cross. We we will chase images and we will try to use language that seem clever and seem entertaining and we think we're enhancing Christ, but what we're really doing is we're diluting and we're distracting from God and the power. And look, here's what happens. This is why methods in ministry matter. There's a saying in ministry, what you win them with is what you win them to. And so what we win people with, what we, how we speak and we draw people to Christ is the methods then that begin to shape people and set their expectations. So if we are using methods driven by entertainment and clever language and image, we begin shaping people to believe that that's what Jesus is about. Jesus is about image and entertainment and clever language. And the fruit of this has done damage in the church in some ways. Just for example, how has this mindset, this approach to ministry, influenced the church in such a way that now we actually think Jesus exists for our happiness, that Jesus exists to make us successful, that Jesus exists so that he can help our agenda, that that, that Rather than us following Christ, Jesus is sort of following us and supporting us. Look, is Jesus after your happiness? Absolutely. But that happiness comes from repentance and faith in dying to self and taking up our cross and following him. Is Jesus after your joy? Absolutely. But that joy is found in him, not in the American dream. But we have adopted methods of ministry at times that lead us to believe that Jesus is about our agenda. Or how about this? One of the greatest sins that a church can commit in our culture is being boring. Like, God forbid we ever be called boring, right? I mean, some of us, I mean, we may even think, I'd rather be called a heretic than be called boring, because at least I'm entertaining. (laughs) But but here's what happens. You know, okay, so let let me just caveat with this. Look, what sometimes what people call boring is actually identifying a fact that a church has no life and no joy, and that is a problem. There should be life and there should be joy where the Spirit of God is. But if we're thinking through the lens of entertainment, what we begin to do is this. We confuse entertainment with an actual experience with the Lord. Like, does an actual experience of the Lord bring life, bring joy, bring a spark, bring a sense that something is happening that you want to be a part of? Is there an excitement when we experience God authentically? Absolutely, but that is far different than entertainment. Because in the midst of that, there is a self-forgetfulness. There is a sense of being wrapped up in the glory of God and just wanting to be in his presence and wanting to, as the passage that Thomas read this morning, we're just undone. And we want to be cleansed of our sins so we can be near the Lord. Do our methods 
Do our methods empty the cross of its power? Do we confuse entertainment with an actual experience with the Lord? Let me also flip this around because the error doesn't just happen with those churches that may try to adopt entertainment methods. Some churches say, we want to be substantive, and so this is the way we're going to do it. We are going to use big theological terms. We're going to use big theological concepts. And if you want to have substance, then you better use the big technical terms, the big technical ideas. That's how we're going to talk. And if you want to be a part of this, if you want to be mature, you got to learn those ideas and learn that language. Here's what happens, though. Churches give themselves over to big theological words and big theological concepts, all the while missing Jesus. They think that their knowledge of these terms and these concepts, because they've read a lot of the Bible, it's, it's just like the correction that Jesus gave the Pharisees. You think by just reading the book and knowing all of this knowledge that you have eternal life, but you miss that it's about me. And so we can do this with our big theology terms and concepts, all the while missing Jesus, all the while not having the power of God at work in our church and in our lives. How we do ministry matters. Are we exalting Christ? Are we exalting the power of God? Are we going after Jesus? Are we holding up Jesus and him crucified for sinners, the resurrected and reigning king? Are we depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit in our ministry methods? Are our ministry methods distracting and diluting the message of the cross? Are they shallowing out our actual experience with Christ? And if I can be honest, as a pastor, look, leading a church, you want a church to be successful. Like, I, I want you guys to know Christ and to be healthy in Christ. I want our community to grow. And, and, and I'm a learner. I like to read a lot of things. And so I often will read uh, other ministry models and look at other churches, things that are very different, not so I can criticize them and pick them apart, because I, I just want to learn where, something, where I can learn something. And I have things sent to me all the time as a pastor, and I would be lying to you if I didn't say at times some of that stuff is tempting. But like you see these ministry models and there's a ton of people and it seems like they're alive and joyful and it seems like the spirit of God is moving. But when you peel back the veneer, it's like, hey, this is just entertainment. There's actually no substance here. But it is so tempting. It is so tempting. And also, as a church, like I want us to be known for our deep theology. Like I don't want us to be seen as shallow. And so sometimes it can be tempting to think, man, everybody needs to know these big terms. Everybody needs to have this very deep technical grasp of theology. And if we have that, then we have Christ. All the while, that can just be a cover for a lack of gospel power, for the lack of the spirit moving. And, and so this isn't just something we kind of generally struggle with. This isn't just some idea that I'm just kind of like, hey, let's not be this way. It's like, hey, this is tempting. And I can imagine for you being part of a church, at times there are things that, that pop through our mind of like, hey, if we just did this, maybe we would grow. Or if we just did this, we would be more healthy. And that's good. We should ask ourselves that question. But at the end of that, is it Jesus? Is it more of Jesus? Do we think that no matter what happens, no matter the numbers, no matter the circumstances, at the end of the day where the power of God resides is in the power of the gospel? Our ministry methods matter. Paul goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. What does Paul mean by he was in weakness and fear and trembling? Well, just like leaders and philosophers and teachers tried to get status, tried to get attention through their flowery language and coming across as smart and intelligent, they also wanted to gain patronage. Meaning a teacher would come into town, try to impress some rich people so that they would just give him money to be a professional speaker. And if you could get enough rich, wealthy people to support you, guess what? You had status. You had power. You were a somebody. The Apostle Paul refused to play that game. The Apostle Paul refused to come in and say, you know what? I need to establish myself in this place of authority, this place of status, to be somebody big in Corinth. Look, the Apostle Paul became well-known in Corinth, but it wasn't because everybody liked him. They were after his head because he preached a message of Christ crucified and they didn't like it. But what the Apostle Paul is highlighting here, what he's saying here is he's saying, look, Corinthians, the reason I didn't establish that, the reason I didn't chase after that is because I didn't want you to put your faith in me. I didn't want your faith to be based in me and my ability and my power. I wanted your faith to be in the power of God I didn't want you to be impressed with my speech and how much knowledge I had because you would put your your trust and your hope in me and how good a leader I am, how good a teacher I am. I wanted you to put your trust in the power of God. Friends, let's be honest for a second. Are you okay being weak? Are you okay lacking being an entertaining speaker or being clever with your language? Are you okay that maybe you don't have a theological education and you don't understand all the big theological terms? Are you okay that maybe the way you talk is imperfect and, and maybe you're still learning about Jesus and, and just your, your personality can be a little bit awkward? And so all of that makes you think, man, I'm not very good at discipling and sharing the gospel with other people. Do you think because you don't have position and status And because everybody looks at you as like this special person that you can't have a role in someone's life to love them and disciple them and serve them. Are you afraid of being weak? Are you disqualifying yourself because you think I'm weak? Hey, here's the good news from God's word to you this morning. Here's what the Apostle Paul would say to you. You're weak? Good. Because guess what's going to happen? The power of God is going to work through you. And what you are going to do is you're going to point people to Jesus, away from you and to Jesus, and the power of God is going to work in their lives. Look at the contrast that Paul sets up. He says, my words didn't come in in plausible wisdom. What did they come in? In the spirit and demonstration of power. Let me just ask you, what would you rather be known for for your words? That you're entertaining and you're clever and you're great turn of phrase and a winning personality or that your speech carried with it the spirit of God and the power of God? What an amazing testimony. And friends, in your weakness, God works that way in your life. Don't disqualify yourself because you think you're weak. Don't think God can't use you because you're weak. In fact, he can use you more than all the strong people because you're weak. Incredible hope for us, church. But it also shows us where we put our hope, how we do ministry matters. 
We should not be afraid of weakness. We should not be afraid of lack of position. Rather, we should put our hope in the power of God. Now, is Paul against creativity? Is Paul against philosophy, well-constructed arguments? Is Paul against positions of authority? No. Look, the apostle Paul, he was an apostle. He carried an authority. And sometimes he used that authority when he needed to. The Apostle Paul, if you read the New Testament, this guy was brilliant. He was highly educated. He understood religion and philosophy. I think he probably understood psychology in, in some brilliant ways as well, his ability to peer into the human soul and human mind. The Apostle Paul was well-educated. The Word of God uses creative language, artistry. It uses well-constructed arguments. God is not opposed to these things. The question is, are these things being used to draw attention to Jesus or are these things drawing attention to themselves? So two of the greatest performances of the national anthem in history are Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock in 1969 and Whitney Houston at the Super Bowl in 1991. If you've seen either of these performances, you are seeing genius on display. You are seeing musical gifting that the world has never seen on display. Very different performances. Jimmy's got the distorted guitar. He's angsty, but he's, he's sort of communicating this sense of like the contradiction in the American society, but also the hope that's potentially there. And then Whitney Houston, the soulful rendition at when our country was about ready to go to war and just bringing hope but here's what was amazing about both of these very different performances. All of the musical flourish, all of the musical talent was used to enhance the song. Like what you remember is that was the Star Spangled Banner performed in such a beautiful way. They used their gifting to enhance something else. Contrast that with the Super Bowl in 2011 and Christina Aguilera's performance. Now I'm not knocking Christina. Christina has pipes Homegirl can sing. But if you saw that performance, what you saw her doing is overdoing the vocal flourishes. Like she was just kind of going up and down just to go up and down. And at the end of the performance, you're like, wow, Christina, you can really go up and down. But the song was diminished. Then the national anthem was diminished. The experience of that was diminished. That's what the Apostle Paul, that, that, that's what the model of his ministry, all of the gifting all of the creativity, all of the knowledge. Because look, some of you are very gifted creatively. You're, you're gifted with language. Some of you have been given a very charming personality. Some of you have been given the ability to think well about theology and philosophy. Everyone in this room has gifts. God didn't give you those gifts just so you could bury them. No, he gave you those gifts as a way to enhance the beauty of the gospel to use those in service of holding up Christ as the substance, as the hope, as the power. Amen. And so friends, in our gifting, in our weakness, the point is to hold out Jesus. And this is why the Apostle Paul said, I determined not to know anything else but Christ and him crucified. For all of his knowledge, for all of his gifting, for all of his ability, all that mattered to him was that Jesus was exalted, that Jesus was held out, that people put their faith in Christ because he recognized that's where the power is. And so friends, 
is our, our ministry model, is how we live our lives and how we do ministry, exalting Christ, holding out Christ? Or are we drawing attention to other things? Are, are, are we trying to compensate because we feel insecure about our abilities and so we want to put those forward so people will recognize us? Or are we so afraid of our weakness that we're drawing back and pulling back and not actually allowing God to work, us, work through us and use us? Friends, if we hold out Christ, if Christ is our hope, if Christ is our power, if the Spirit of God is where we are going to, then guess what's going to happen? God is going to use us. He's going to use you. People are going to come to know Jesus. And our community will grow as a community that loves and worships Christ. And so look, if you're gifted, praise God for that. But consider this. Who cares about your gift of language and your entertaining personality when Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, got up out of the grave and is resurrected and ascending, has poured out his spirit on us, and he's coming back to renew all things? That's far more exciting than your entertaining personality. I love you, but it is. <laughs> Why would we care why would we care about seeming impressive when Jesus is so glorious and so powerful and he wants to use you? He invites you into this mission with him. And so let's hold out Christ for people. Let's hold out Christ to each other. Let's hold out Christ to our city that we may see the power of God work to the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray.